I appreciate you for doing this, Pell NYC. Um, yep, why don't you yep, let yep. the listeners know maybe like just a little bit of background, what do you do, who you are, and uh, we'll take it from there. Uh, my name is Pell. My Instagram handle is PellNYC, and I have another Instagram called The Sketchy Truths, where every day I draw something based on the news. Um, what do I do? I create. I'm a creative director. I love to design. My background is really in fashion. Before that was in electronics. I was in the military. Do art as well. I mean, I just want to, I don't care what it is. I just want to create. You know, I don't care if it's a coffee cup, a toothpick, throw me in coach. I'm ready. You know. When did you know you had that gift? Like when was the first time you recognized that you could kind of take an idea and you could form that into a drawing or a sketch like when when did you first know that uh i've been drawing since i was a kid you know so i can't it was funny because somebody asked me that on instagram the other day i don't really remember when i started drawing i just you know one one of the big things was um i had two cousins uh one in aruba she saw that i was drawing she like had me drawing stick figures and walking through the storytelling of that. And she probably doesn't even remember that. But that's one thing that I remember. And I had another cousin by the name of Brenton. He was in England, man. He was so influential because he actually collected comic books. So that's when I started like trying to draw the Marvel way. And that was impactful for me. And um, that's when I really like understood like, okay, I can draw. I didn't really see like a future in it per se. It was just like, okay, this is just something that I do. And I had a good group of friends, one by the name of Rep, another guy by the name of Mice. Um, we all, and another guy by the name of Alan, we all used to draw together. So, you know, it was like iron sharpens iron. So that's when I was like, okay, I, I got something. I don't know what it is. And then uh, coming to VA and working with Ralph from RP55, that's when I was like, Oh, I can earn a living from this, you know, really, by not only how did that come about? How did how did you meet Ralph from RP fifty five? This is gonna sound like a bad B flick movie. (laughs) Um, I lived out in VA when I was in the military at uh, Lake Edwards in Virginia Beach, and my cousin was with me. So actually, we walked to um the Seven Eleven off of Baker Road. I'm getting very VA right now. Yeah, it's very detailed. I know exactly where that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right <laughs> off of Newtown Road. And, yo, Ralph was in there. And that's when he was started popping with the RP55 shirts. So I saw him, and I, I recognized him. But I recognized him from when he just started, because I was at the same screen printer. I thought I was going to pop off with my T-shirt brand of 72 measly T-shirts. I thought I was about to be the king of T-shirts. And he was filling up a van. So I, I recognized him in a 7-Eleven. And I started chatting with him. And then my cousin was like, yo, you need to hire my cousin. He could draw real ill. He could draw better than he could breathe. Yeah, he was like selling them. And Ralph was like, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, take my card. So I took the card, called him for two weeks, no answer. So I was just like, yo, later for this, whatever. It wasn't in the cards. And I don't know if you remember, there was a store in... Um, Virginia Beach, actually right off the strip called The Fly. And No, tell me about this. Uh, so Mike Malbin, um, there's a magazine called Frank 151. Him and his brother did it. 
his brother Steve actually started it. And anybody who's familiar with um, the Malvin name down the VA, uh, very creative family. And um, like Josh, actually, I mean, Steve actually has his own um, golf brand right now called Malvin Golf, right? And then uh, Mike moved on to do Frank's Chop Shop. But when they were to, when Mike had the fly, that was like the only spot to really get like authentic street gear, right? It's like graffiti based. Echo was just popping. Interesting. And, and I knew him. And um, this is years after, uh, this is probably like two years after I bumped into Ralph. I went in there and he was like, yo, these guys from Arc 55, they wanted to try to get my their stuff into the store. And I was like, man, later for them, man. You know, because he was also modeling for Echo. And I was like, what's up with Echo? And he was like, he said, well, yeah, we can go to Echo, whatever. Because I was like, I'll pay for the trip, whatever, hotel. I'll, you know, take my little Navy bucks and let's go. And he was like, well, let's go see these guys at RB55. Come with me. I'm going to go see them now. So I was like, all right. Had my little portfolio that me and my man Alan did. We didn't know nothing about no clothing, but we just knew we wanted to design. And we designed a whole brand. And I had it all hand drawn in a book. So I went out there. Long story short, um, there was no order place for Mike's store because Ralph and I was talking so much about, you know, what I presented. And he gave me a job while I was in the military. So I was like... What was the job? Was it art director or creative <laughs> no, director? No, it was lackey. <laughs> understood keep going yeah so um when i when i got there you know he wanted somebody in a position to help him design and he had worked with a bunch of uh young designers in the past when he had another brand called big's world that was very local and um he was like yo i just can't really trust them to self-police and manage and motivate themselves it's like you know, once the cats are away, the mice will play. And these kids was on the internet doing whatever. <laughs> you know, they, they, them and their relatives are arguing about their pay. You know, they want a percentage of the T-shirts. And he's like, you know, when you work at McDonald's, you don't get a percentage of every fry that's sold. You get paid your right. salary. So I came in. They had me actually working in the warehouse part-time. And no, first I was just in the design room, period. I didn't know any computer, nothing. And I was learning the computer from this gentleman named Thad who still works there. He's a beast, beast artist, beast. Knows Photoshop like he actually programmed it. And um, then when I got out the Navy, they hired me full time, but then they put me in the warehouse. And I was like, yo, well, hold on. I was supposed to be designing. Like they had me driving the truck, delivery truck. Oh, wow. Getting... um. T-shirt material, because they used to make their own T-shirts back then. And these guys were doing 13 colors of a T-shirt back then. You know, what and year was, are we talking? This is, um, I came on board with them, I think like 90, 96, 97. Oh, 97, wow. I got the military. So it was like I was full-time then. And we were going hard. And then I crashed the truck a couple of times, not on purpose. <laughs> and they had to take me off the insurance. And I was full-time in the design room, you know. Um, and, yo, that was my incubator. That was my high school. That was my college for design because I literally was learning on the cutting room floors of factories in China. 
So we would go to China and, yo, we didn't know anything about anything. You know, we would pick up a, a garment and be like, yo, we want to do this. How do we do this? Like, what is this called? What is this stitch called? What do you call when you do blah, blah, blah? You know, what's this fabric? What happens if I put this with this, you know? And um, the blessing was these guys let me experiment. And, you know, through experimentation comes innovation. And through that necessity for us to make something new and me having like this laboratory to just do whatever I came up with, y'all learned a lot. And um, that was probably like one of the best jobs that I've had, like working for somebody because it was just, I was always adding to my toolkit. I was always sharpening and I was around some very creative people. And then I went to Echo. Like mm-hmm. um, when they had Azure, they had Azure Denim, I wound up going to Echo. Through my same friend, Mike Malbin, he, you know, I, sorry, I reached out to him and he got me an interview. And me, uh, my friend and I, my, my same friend that I told you about, Alan, who we designed the first collection to show to Ralph, he actually started working with us. I got him in and he's super talented too. He's still in the industry. And um, we went to high school together. So we told Ralph, hey, we got a high school, friends getting married. You know, we're going to go check them out in New York. And we went for an interview at Echo. And Echo was like the place to be because they were popping at the time. And um, upon that, man, these guys doubled our salaries and gave us signing bonuses. And we were like, felt like rappers, you know. How many people were working their ballpark when you got there? At Echo, man, maybe 30 to 50 people. And they yeah. had an overseas office in China. They had their own office dedicated. So um, to put in perspective, if we had somebody designing knits, they had a person over their counterpart directly who only dealt with your knits. You know, another person only dealt with the woven shirts. Another person only did the jeans, right? Uh, which was very efficient as well because you wasn't burdening one agent to do your manufacturing with all of this information, you actually was able to like dole it out. And these guys could just focus on the factories that they were targeting, which is actually great. So upon working at Echo, that was me really going to college. And that was, you know, you talking about learning on steroids, because you're around these great artists and a lot of people who came out of Echo, some of them I, I, I was blessed enough to work with. Some of them had just left before me or came afterwards, like the guys from Crooks and Castles, you know, Dennis, he came from there. Um, God bless the dead, a uh, good friend of mine, Josh Prince. He came from there. He actually uh, started Fool's Gold Records and he did all of the creative behind it, you know, like, we have some very talented people out there. Um, Jim Infuso, who's right now heading up, he's a GM over at Adidas, right? He was heading up the whole Yeezy thing from the, its inception. Just like dope talent. You know, my man, Mike Thompson, he's, it's like he's built with digital crayons in his fingers. He's the guy that was doing all the caricatures back in the day for Echo. Now he's doing stuff for Marvel, for DC. He's like a crazy hired hand. He's doing digital sculpting. And he's actually like sponsored by Wacom, you know, the tablets that a lot of designers use. He's sponsored by Procreate. 
uh, um, not Procreate, uh, by Painter, a painting program, uh, and ZBrush to do like clay stuff. And he actually designed my um, cat toy that I did. He sculpted it for me. So it was like, yo, the talent was amazing. The people that we came across. Uh, yeah, that was, that was my journey from VA coming back here. And then I wind up going back down to VA again with like this enormous war chest of knowledge from Echo and just being in the industry and traveling with them and seeing how they, they worked a lot more efficiently than RP at the time. Cause RP was like, you know, we was figuring it out, you know, we was running and gunning, we was shooting from the hip. These guys kind of like had battle strategy and had uh, soldiers in there that actually are battle tested and they knew the lay of the land. Right. So we, we, we were able to learn, but not by executing by them just saying, Hey, this is how the game is played. And did uh, you ever, uh, did you interface with Mark Echo at any point during that run or was he in, in, yeah. in the designs or how, maybe talk about like, what, what was this, like the business development side of it? Like, cause I mean, they had incredible run. Like, I feel like I just saw it everywhere back, back then. And yeah. Uh, that's, like that's I was amazing. working side by people. Yeah, we were working side by side with Mark. I was his first actual men's designer that he hired to allow to, you know, full time to actually work on product. And then he stepped away and then I was interim creative director until we they hired a creative director, incredible guy by the name of Greg Ma, who's now knitwear designer over at Target. He's been over there like forever. And um, yeah, we worked side by side. Uh, Mark is talented. Mark knows the computer. He knows Photoshop. He knows Illustrator. I don't know if he's still able to mess with me on Illustrator. Back then, <laughs> back then you know, I told him, I was like, yeah, I can't see you on that Photoshop. But, you know, when you see me on that Illustrator, baby, you look like I'm playing the piano. I know my hotkeys. Um, yeah, but we worked side by side with him. Um, so as far as... Man, I, I mean, he makes he made me push harder. And it's not because he was like, yo, I need you to do better. And you just wanted to because you was watching the boss literally design and create right in front of you and deconstruct your idea and come up with these weird themes. And their business model was just, yo, to have fun. You know, like I remember one time before I worked there, they had a, a show in Vegas, a trade show, and they didn't go, I think, because they didn't pay their bill or whatever. Yo, Echo just bombed the Vegas strip with stickers, and they got a fine. And I asked hmm. him about that, and he was like, yeah, caught a fine, and I was on the news in Vegas during, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the trade shows. He goes, and, you, and I was looking at it like, man, why would you want to risk that? And he told me, you can't pay for that advertising. And that's when I was like, wow. Like, this guy is thinking in a whole different way. Like, even when he did his first, when he did the magazine, and he had a, a gentleman by the name of Ket, who actually uh, is one of the owners of the Graffiti Museum down in Miami. Sorry, I'm, like, plugging all these people because I love them. I love no, the, this is great. You know, I love the journey that I've been on. But Ket, I worked with him at Azuri. I worked with him at Echo First. He's the one who came with the magazine and with the flip, like flipping the magazine, you know, complex when it was in its physical. Uh, ah, interesting. Yeah. And um, 
I mean, he's amazing. Worked at Vibe. He had his own magazine called Stress that was like competing with the source back in the day. And, um, you know, being able to, to, to work with, with, with those type, with that type of talent at the time. And with Mark, you know, when he made his first video game, he was all about graffiti and tagging and stuff. The same, the same engine that he made for the video game was utilized for the first Spider-Man game as far as the mechanics of the gravity and how the characters moved and stuff like that. Before that Echo game, there was, there was no end game engine like that. And people don't really know that. You know, and it's like this guy, the first video game that he made before that, that they were actually testing in the room, in, in our design room, because we had, we, had, <clears throat> we had a T-shirt office, design office, office just for people doing the tech packs. The women's had a team. And then there was this, like, this creative team in the back where they were doing all type of Flash animation, making games for Flash. And he had this game about rhinos and saving the flying rhinos. <laughs> just because that was like just, the logo, one of the logos, yeah, right? Yeah, it was just this weird shit that was in his brain. And he was just like, hey, kid in the candy store, I want to do it, I'm gonna do it. It's like whatever. Like it's pushing the idea and putting it out there and not really worrying about the expense. And at one time it kind of hurt him financially, but he pulled himself out because when you're a unicorn. Everybody want to ride. Everybody wants to see the unicorn. Everybody, you know, so even if you don't do that well, and he got stuck with a lot of overhead or whatever, but he was still able to find, you know, financial backing to pull him out of that and continue on. You know, his brand is still around, even though he's not a part of it, but his brand is still around because it means something, you know. So that was actually pretty dope. Then going back down there to Ralph and him, I went as creative director for Azure. Uh, denim brand which was great that was great doubled my salary again <laughs> again um doubling salary is always good um and i just had a different respect for the game i was older um i understand stood the mechanics of selling and going on the road with the sales reps because i wanted to and for those that don't know like you know when you're dealing with clothing you have sales reps that actually represent the brand and they go throughout the country to sell to the smallest mom and pop store that's around the corner from you all the way to the big chain stores, whether it's Macy's, Dillard's, Nordstrom's, you know, Neiman Marcus. And then you also have international distributors as well. So, you know, Echo, I was able to go internationally to Japan and see how they sold in the stores that we were in. So you get a good representation of what your brand means in the market and you get to see how they bought your brand in the market. Um, but also going with the sales reps and seeing, yo, talking to the, con the, to the consumer themselves, meaning the store owner and asking them, yo, what's popping? What's selling? What's doing good? What's a dog for you? What isn't selling? What are your best brands out, out there? What trends are you seeing? Because you're not going to get that knowledge and still won't from going on the internet. You know, I feel like personal connection is the best connection. That's, you know, just like word of mouth advertising. That's why Instagram is so great because Instagram is word of mouth advertising. It's me telling you that I like this and I'm putting it and I'm showing it to you. Of course, a lot of that is very curated right now, but it's still word of mouth. It's me putting it forward and letting you know that this is what's up. So 
through that experience of being a creative director, that's where I learned a lot, you know, the marketing side. And I like to talk to the different departments. I think that you need that synergy. You need design to talk to marketing. You need marketing to talk to sales. You need all of them to sit at the same table and look at this thing that we are creating and be like, I don't know if that's going to work for me because I need such and such and such, or when can I get this deliverable from you? And some companies, they don't do that. You know, a separation of church and state and they roll some dice, they pray and they hope that it's going to work. And uh, a lot of companies have fallen because of that. And I think that more companies are going to fall right now <laughs> due to what's going on as well because of some things like that and not being outfitted for the randomness that's uh, in front of us and happening to us, you know? Yeah, so. no, that, that's, uh, that's a fact. Um, so you went back to RP55 after <laughs> Echo and then what did you do next? What was your next move? My next move, um, after going back, <clears throat> That I mean, around that time, that was right before, that was 2001. So I was working there for a while and um, just soaking it up, loving being in Virginia. Uh, then I wound up starting a brand with uh, two friends of mine, um, Hutch and Dre from the foundation. Um, we had a brand called Godwin and we had a little small brand called Smut Brothers that we was doing that to finance Godwin. And then we said, why are we doing that? Let's just do Godwin. And Godwin was like one of the first brands that we had like Japanese denim, salvage denim in the streetwear space. We made a toy, limited edition toy that we gave away to the industry. Some people still have it on their damn desk, this little rabbit. Um, so I went full steam ahead on that, moved back to New York. And um, we were doing good. And then the recession hit. And that one or 08? No, that's 08. You know, 08. and and we had a financial backer and it was tough because our jeans were really selling, but we had a full collection because, you know, those guys, they came from, you know, urban at the time of selling a lot of product to stores and stores were just consuming it at this hellacious rate it was like ravenous it was a lot of big salaries happening at at the time and when things started slowing down you know it almost came to like an immediate halt but people still wanted some product well here you have jeans coming in from china blah 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 coming in from india and they land in a warehouse at different times well the financial backer he was like send ship out the jeans because he was trying to, you know, get bread. So what winds up happening is you cannibalize your business <clears throat> because your number one product that comes in, you're shipping out immediately and there's no support now for the other stuff that's coming in as part of that collection. They're not going to say, oh, let, let me get the t-shirts now. You know, after I got my meat and potatoes, wh what do I need an appetizer for? You know, I get it. <clears throat> yeah, so that was, that was a bit rough. Uh, then I started like just freelancing heavy. I was heavy, heavy freelance and had a couple of really good gigs. And then I went back into uh, the corporate lane. I did kids for a while, you know, designing Sean John kids. That was interesting. Um, just dealing with a different structure, dealing with licenses, doing children's. 
And then I got to 10 deep. Um, Scott's I didn't a know you were at 10 deep. Yeah, I was at 10 deep. Scott's a friend. It was like during a time when 10 deep was doing a lot of the, the patterns and stuff like that. Like they were always known. I was known thinking chain links and all in my mind when you said 10 deep. Nah, this, nah, this yeah, but they did the chain link stuff like before, that was way before me, but we was doing like a lot of floral stuff and it was like a lot of hand drawn, hand painted repeat patterns. And I was creating a majority of those patterns, especially the real hyper detailed ones. I was doing those and that was, that was dope too, because, you know, street wear was now here and it was here in a big way. And 10 deep had been around for over a decade in the same spot. I'll give it up to, to Scott because there was times that he wanted to quit and he kept it going, kept it going. And he, even if he had a side gig, he just kept it going. And um, the brand grew that it was on steroids. <clears throat> they kids just wanted it. I mean, it didn't matter what. And um, upon doing that, it was cool. But then another opportunity, a really great opportunity came to work at uh, Universal Records. And this is during, you know, like truck fit era and all of that stuff. And um, working for a record company is very interesting because this is when it was they were doing a lot of merch and they you know they have the rolling stones at universals universal bravado bravado's the merchandise like and um understanding those mechanics and the science between like how they actually figure out what merch to make when to make it and then they came on board with a different business model of actually just making a full full brands to go in stores that's when, you know, they acquired Truck Fit, the Yeezy season, um, that whole merch launch turned into an actual brand and it was selling in PacSun. And even after he finished the tour, they still were selling that product. Like it was on fire. And, um, but this is also when Baby and Wayne were beefing. And that, again, cannibalized the business. So uh it just slowly broke down and i was working on rich gang which was baby's brand so like universal was doing three brands for them at the time they had uh truck fit which was like the monster then they had ymcmb you know they had that like diffusion line and then it was going to do up up a tier brand which was going to be rich gang um, and it was very interesting when they would do, when, how they put it together and what they were doing to differentiate it. Like they had different teams and it was just a huge thing. But when they started beefing, it started like, you could really see, you know, it, it was really impacting the brands, you know? So one brand falls, second brand falls, and then the big brand. <clears throat> so, and after that, um, what was I doing? Freelancing still. Freelancer, freelancer, freelancing. Uh, then I started to delve into art. You know, I kind of got a, a little over it. I was over the, the fashion stuff. It felt, it just felt heavy. You know, I was doing a lot of graphic work for people. And um, it just didn't feel fulfilling. I started tattooing a little bit with my homie. Because I just, I just needed an outlet. I needed something creative. And it wasn't even really about the bread bread like that, um, where it's, it's, you know, it should be. But for an artist, sometimes it's hard to just focus on, I just need to get this money 
and I'm trying to like just put out something. Sometimes you want to do something of, of meaning and conversation. And um, in, in doing that, I was like, yo, I want to delve into art. I was like, the tattoo thing really ain't my thing because <laughs> I don't want no dealing with bloodborne pathogens and all this craziness. But that was fun too. Yeah, but it was it was fun. It was fun because, you know, I was creating and I was creating different stuff and I was having a conversation with people. And then um, a friend of mine, uh, James Whitner, you know, he has the, the store's social status, Amamanier and APB. Yeah, I did his original logos for him and I designed some products for him and stuff like that. He was like, yo, 25th year anniversary for the Air Max is coming out. It's funny because today's Air Max day, right? Yes. So he was like, yo, I want you to do something and I'm going to present it to Nike. You know, do me a painting. And I was like, well, why are we only, it was the 25th year anniversary. I was like, why are we only going to do one? I was like, one thing to commemorate 25 years. I was like, let's do 25 paintings. And I was like, Ugh. I titled it, We Were There. And the whole idea was, here are 25 years captured in 25 paintings, which represents events through this decade and a half that the Air Max had to have been. Like there was somebody who was on, you know, the, um, watching Obama do his inaugural speech for the first time. Somebody had to be wearing some Air Maxes. There was somebody yeah. who was wearing Air Maxes who who's watching one of these Harry, Harry Potter movies. There was somebody listening to their iPod wearing Air Max. There probably was somebody who was on the Hudson when that plane landed, you know, for Miracle on the Hudson, either on the plane or watched the newscast. So I was like, let's capture that and let's flip the Air Max 25 times. We did a book, did a gallery showing um, down in the city. Uh, at Ward Nassie Gallery, and it was good. We did a book release at his store, Social Status. I believe that one was either, I think that was in Atlanta. It was just like some some really good stuff, and I just continued with the art. Didn't really know what my style was, because I didn't go to school for none of this. You know, I went to school for electronics, and everything that I've learned, clothing-wise, whatever, has been from other people and through necessity of being, you know, like I said, at the factory and asking, you know, the, the factory guys, the engineers and technicians there, or with Photoshop, asking my friends and doing tutorials and grabbing a book. And I'm like, it's like really self-made journey. Um, same thing with art. And even right now I'm learning old school Renaissance style from, I got a teacher guy by the name of Vic. He's a beast. He's like a beast and he has- Is that like all he does is this specific type of- <clears throat> Yes, man. This dude, he was a blessing. I had my studio in, in Jersey and he was um, assisting right next to me. And I don't really talk to nobody when I'm, you know, I'm walking, I'm on my New York. I'm like, boop, blinders on, don't know you, you could be the killer, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? So I was like, I don't need no conversation. I'm Gucci on that. Um, and he just sparked conversation with me. And then we started talking. And I was still looking at him like, okay, where's the weapon? I may have to get you. <laughs> so, and it was just a great, you know, God puts people in, in your life for a reason. And we just started yeah. talking and I was showing him my stuff. And I thought I was throwing, showing him, you know, something that was banging. And he showed me his stuff. I was like, Pfft. I felt like I, I was drawing with my toes with crayons 
what did he show you? Like, he just showed you something on his phone? Yeah, he showed, you know, we in the digital age, he pulled up his Instagram, and I was like, what? This looks like you could walk into it. And um, I asked him if he taught. He said yes, and he's, we started then, and he was like, explain to me his background, man. He's from Italy. He's like, painting artists like this come a dime a dozen. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he told me that his teacher, he used to restore Renaissance paintings. So he was like, I'm going to teach you everything. I'll teach you. He's like, he knows how to make his own paint. He knows how to make his own gesso. Uh, I seen the man, and this is no exaggeration. You know, when you get a stretch canvas, it's cloth, and they put basically it's kind of like white paint on it, but it's not. It's, you know, it's kind of like a primer. I watched this man gesso a canvas, and you can see it was so smooth and glossy. It felt like glass. And you could see your reflection in it. You know, like if you was looking at a, a white piece of plastic, that's how smooth this thing was. He was wet sanding it by hand. And I was wow. like, yo, what? I've never, I didn't even know that people was doing that. Like, why are you doing that for? What's the, what's the purpose? Who's, who's appreciating that? And, you know, his thing to me was fine art is fine. I don't want to see no brushstrokes at all. He's like, that's, that's the world that he comes from. You know, everything is old school. He paints, you know, with the dead layer. Um, you know, that means like everything is all in like browns or grays. And then you glaze your color on multiple layers. And I thought that he was going to have me like painting. Oh, here, let's paint an egg so you can understand shape. No, we did. We're doing still um, a Caravaggio. So um, he's one of those artists that changed the game as far as his technique, lighting. Um, his lighting is compared to like Rembrandt as far as like his control of light and dark. And he's also known for painting a lot of real people, you know, not just royalty. Like, so, but he would paint like uh, saints and whatever, but he would get like, you know, homeless people off the street and use them as models, right? So sometimes some of the paintings, the people's feet are dirty. And, you know, the, the clergy didn't like that. They wanted everything to be pristine and, you know, all lovely. So we're redoing a Caravaggio right now. And I didn't think I could paint like that at all. And this dude got my brain blown, you know, like what he's showing me and teaching me. But not only that, it's not just about the technique. It's also about romancing of the art. You know, I showed him um, an artist's painting that I didn't think that he necessarily would like. You know, it looked, it looked a little rudimentary in comparison. Well-known artist, won't say the name. And he was like, yo, I like this. He goes, let me see another painting. He goes, you see this? There's poetry in this. He goes, there's a conversation that's happening through all of them. Kind of like having a collection. So if I see this artist, I know it's them. And that's where the beauty is. And, but also look at the subject matter. Look at what they're painting. And then it draws you into why are they painting it. And I was like, Right when I thought that this dude was just bringing me down one street, here we go veering off into this next street. And I was like, man, I got a lot to learn. So that's the journey that I'm on right now. I'm still designing, um, <clears throat> still designing stuff, you know, getting into the digital space uh, also via you. Um, you know, <laughs> going to do, you know, I'm going to do a podcast as well. So Lord willing, definitely want to have you on board so I can, barrage you with questions <laughs> yeah appreciate it anytime anytime 
Yeah. How did the daily sketches come about? How did that, how'd you start that? Man, my Instagram sucked. <laughs> you know, it was, I mean, it, I was on Instagram and I didn't know what to do. I was like taking pictures of flowers. You know, on my Instagram, I cleared it out, my personal one, but I still left my first post, which is a Blackberry. Cause I was like, oh, I got to get rid of this Blackberry to get on Instagram, you know? So I got my first iPhone. And in doing that, um, I was just p- taking pictures of whatever. People were doing food. I started doing food. Then I was like, why am I doing food? So I started doing the plate when, after I finished eating, you know, like, yo, this was a good meal. You should have been here. Uh, but then I was like, why am I doing all this? Let me do what I know, draw. So I started drawing little characters, you know, rocking like streetwear or whatever. I got a couple of likes, but then I did, I did uh, Rick Ross and I did Gucci Mane. I got, at the time, Went like, crazy? crazy was 46 likes, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was like, mama, I made it, you know, and I was like, okay, I got something. So I started, I, re- I was like, I'm not going to draw every rapper or whatever did ice cube that was okay and then i did um man you remember that denzel washington movie where with the plane he was he was alcoholic pilot mm-hmm. i drew that and i drew a plane upside down but the fuselage the main body was made out of a whiskey bottle and the two uh. the two engines were made out of beer cans so i did that and i was like so i just started covering the news doing parodies of movie titles. And it just became this like thing that I was doing. And then one day I just didn't do it. People started hitting my phone like, yo, where's those little drawings at? I was like, okay, I got something. So I just continued doing it. And I had a love hate relationship with it. Sometimes like I stopped doing it for like six months. And this was like 2013, I started doing it. I like stopped doing it because it just, the news is heavy. Yeah. I put out a book with it. Um, I wound up getting a gig with Penthouse through it where every month they had me doing like some social political conversation that they would allow me to do, you know, but I drew it in a different style. And um, I got featured by the Huffington Post doing it. So a lot of great things came from it. And, uh, you know, I went back to doing it and then I changed the name because it used to be called the Daily Doodles. I changed it to the Sketchy Truths. And the reason why is like, I just think that the news is funny. And I think that, um, you know, you're always getting somebody's version of it. Uh, and I also thought the Daily Doodle sounded a little young and kitty. And, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm back on doing it every day instead of me drawing it from a, with a, I used to do it with a Sharpie marker and I used to try to do it like one take. If I messed up, I crumpled it up and started it all over again. Which was great for drawing because I like honed my skills a lot. But now I do it on an iPad, you know, using Procreate. That's, and I'm doing the videos as well so I can see, I can get more analytics and I can watch how many views I get as well as the likes. That's why I do the video really. And, um, you know, from that, <clears throat> just a couple of days ago, you know, the D Nice thing happened, which was great. You know, him reposting, you know, what I did, I'm just covering the news. And um, I had a lot of people that know him and they were like trying to push, they were like sending it to him or whatever. I know him as well. You know, we were supposed to work on a show together because um, he's also a photographer, uh, you know. Mm. Yeah, actually a really good photographer. And um, 
his subject matter is like real stuff. He like like he photographs a lot of homeless because he was homeless at the time. Karis one was homeless at the time, so he covers that. You know, <clears throat> um, real cool down to earth dude. And I was able to get you know he he reposted it, and it was like that was amazing. You know, getting reposted, but also I think that what he did was amazing. He changed the business model for social media right now. You know, everybody's going live right now. It's a it's a whole different beast. And I think that um pay-per-view is gonna change right now. I think we're gonna have more micro conversations that are gonna happen. I think that um people are reestablishing themselves right now as we're in this like incubated state. Well, I think that smart people are, you know, you're sharpening, you're coming up with new ideas, you're trying to figure out how I can reach you without being in front of you, right? Because we're able to run business from our home out of necessity, not because we want it. And I think that some people are going to continue to do that. And he showed you, you know, a parallel for that straight from his kitchen. Then he wind up hosting something with Michelle Obama. Like, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. He had like black royalty in there. I mean, you named the person, they was there, you know, come on. And then you, not just black royalty, you just had power. Like there have been people who have done, had more views than him in a room. Like uh, a friend of mine told me Steve Aoki had 500K. But it's also the caliber of people that was in the room, that power that was in the room. Like you got Zuckerberg, come on. Yeah, it's tough. Come on, you got the dude who got the keys. He got the keys to everybody's fucking crib. You know, he got yeah. the keys to everybody's phone. You got Zuck. <laughs> you know, so um, I thought that was very powerful and um, it will be very interesting to see, you know, what's going to happen after that. I think things like this are, are going to have more power because of that. You know, I think that live conversations are going to are getting more power because people don't have but so much to do. It's only so much Netflix that you're going to consume. And we we are a content consuming world right now. You know, excuse me. So. Um, that was a beautiful thing being attached to that. I'm still getting followers uh, from it. I feel very blessed. I'm thinking about my next steps with that to get more ownership and not just tell the news, but to tell another uh, portion of my story through the sketchy truths as well. You know, and um, I'm even, I cleared out my other Instagram just to, to, to be cleaner, you know, um, and curate a little bit better. You know, I wish that I probably would have had both of them at the same time, you know, just in, in one. That would have been the smarter thing. But at the time that I was doing it, it was looking very muddy. I was all over the place. It didn't make sense. So and I'm happy where it's at now. The sketchy truth is very clean, um, very uniform. You know what the story is. And I think that's important for, from branding perspective. And um, with my LNYC, I'm starting to curate that to to show the things that I do outside of just drawing the news, you know. <clears throat> and um, no, that's great, great insights. I was going to ask you what were some things that maybe you've picked up or skills you've picked up, something you're doing differently now that um, you know we're kind of we're we're all working from home and you know we're we're quarantined. What's like maybe one or two things that maybe you're doing that from a business perspective is getting you in front of more people or um, allowing you to 
be more creative and you can make more stuff, you know, on a daily basis. Do you have any, anything like that? Um, I'm pretty used to working from home, right? So this, this is kind of old hat for me. I'm not like going stir crazy, you know, or, or suffering from Stockholm syndrome. But some of the things that that I am doing is being more cognizant of my means to communicate to my audience. Like I've had Instagram for a minute, but it's now during quarantine, I took down everything and I started really thinking about how I'm going to recalibrate this thing. Right. It's like, what are my next steps? It's like, how do I how do I load my gun and make sure that I have hollow tips in it? I don't have like BBs, you know. Or I'm just shooting randomly. So it's also about, I think it's about strategizing, right? Because a lot of us, <clears throat> one of my friends, he told me, he goes, yo, I don't have like certain files that I need because they're still at work. Well, you're going to have to innovate. So I think it's, it's really that. <clears throat> it's being put into a situation and this is a math problem. I have to figure it out. It's a journey. How do I get from here to there? So it's like, I think that that's my main thing is um, just think, trying to think outside the box with the tools that I have. You know, an analogy that I like to use is if you got to screw something in, you got a screwdriver yesterday, you don't know where it is. Are you going to wait to go to Home Depot tomorrow or are you going to use that butter knife that you just finished eating with? I'm going to use the butter knife. And I think that's where we're at right now. <clears throat> you better use that butter knife and you better figure it out. Like D-Nice figured it out. A lot of people are figuring out. A lot of people are working on their... Instagram campaigns, they're doing, you know, they're, they're running their ads for their product. They're trying to figure out how they can ship, how they can get, to, you know, get to, um, direct to their consumer even harder, right? I think that's where it's at. <clears throat> like, that. what, like, what are you, what are you doing? I am now turning yeah. the you on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for us, you know, our business has always been somewhat diversified. We have e-commerce, brick and mortar, pop-up, and then sort of B2B enterprise level sales. So, um, you know, we're still working a lot with our enterprise level clients, our corporate customers. Then we're also, uh, we're closing the brick and mortar pop-up store. So, you know, that energy, that focus kind of shifted to, more digital capabilities. So uh, at HamiltonPerkins.com, we have a new website up. Uh, we are working on our Instagram and working yeah. on our communication and just building our brand in a time when, you know, we realize it's tough to kind of, you know, right now there's a lot of things happening. So it's hard for us to necessarily, um, you know, we don't want to be like pushy, you know, we just want to make sure that we're, uh, we're there and we're kind of responding to customers. But we are still shipping, you know, you'll see in the back there, you yeah. know, I've, I've brought, oh, my, I see it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it, it's yeah. bringing, bringing, bringing it home. And, um, you know, it, it's really, it's getting into, you know, chats like this on a, on a zoom, zoom call, you know, should have, you know, I should have been doing this type of thing a, a while ago. So it's, it has kind of forced me, I know personally to just use more of uh use, use, the, use that butter knife, you know? Yeah. If there's something that I can do today, I'm, I'm going to do it. So, yeah. you know, fortunately, we've been kind of, uh, we've been blessed to kind of continue, you know, still being there. So, but this is, this is exactly what I was hoping for. I, I appreciate this uh, did, time did, and just sharing the pearls of wisdom. Yeah. One, one other question for you, though. So as far as you closing the store, is it because of what happened or that was something that was scheduled? 
it's because of what happened. We looked at a lot of the uh, kind of larger retailers like Apple and, you know, just kind of, we knew that the safety of customers, safety of our staff, safety of uh, just, you know, just the actual location that we were in, it, it made sense that, you know, we would kind of, you know, stop the spread, flatten the curve. I mean, I mean, if you look overseas, I mean, when certain areas learned about, you know, the outbreak, they, you know, they, they quarantined, they stopped, they yeah. flattened that curve. And, um, you know, it just seems like it's a practical step to, you know, prevent, you know, contamination. So, yeah, that, that's something that we did. Um, it wasn't necessarily like we already had it scheduled. We we were still, yeah. we were we were really ready and looking forward to you know nice weather. I mean, it's a nice day here in Virginia today. Yeah, you know, events. You know, we we had stuff lined up just about definitely every weekend. You know, every weekend we had something coming up. We had stuff during the week. You know, we were just kind of getting at the tail end of those really cold events. I mean, I, I had done yeah. some a couple races you know a couple uh you know a couple like i don't know i went to a gym you know just kind of showing up with the table but you know it's just cold so it's kind of hard but you know now we've had time to like i say you know go back and work on that website you know uh, yeah i just think do, that- do a lot of things in the store like i mean we never close technically you know i think yeah. that's kind of one of the things that when you're small and lean it's like you don't yes. i mean for for me like to actually sit there and just really study the inventory levels that we have and really you know plan around distributing it and really kind of finding what ways can we make use of space that maybe we you know because we have a lot of space you know literally like off of our selling floor that we're not even technically using yeah yeah so you know just stuff like that um you know, been fortunate to be able to spend some time working. Well, I know that saving um, revenue from, you know, the overhead of the brick and mortar, now you can possibly transfer that into doing, you know, more ads. You can still do pop-ups, you know, like the stuff that you still be able to do those events. And I think that is, you know, going into your, your wheelhouse, your toolkit and pulling out that butter knife and being like, okay, like now the butter knife got me a drill, you know? That's right. Yeah, I think that that's that's where uh, people really need to start thinking. And I, I think that when we come out out of this, just like the recession that we had before, and, and hopefully God willing, we don't go into one right now. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's tough times for a lot of people. Um, I think that the dog is gonna, you know, wag its tail and it's gonna get rid of a bunch of f- fleas. There's gonna be a, a companies that are not built to to continue, unfortunately, but out of the ashes the phoenix is going to rise again and it's going to 100 it's going to be some great businesses it's going to be some great communication some great collaboration there's a kid somewhere out there that's coming up with some idea from what's going on right now and he's going to birth some type of technology that's going to even perpetuate these conversations even further but then there's going to be like a kid who's doing a clothing brand or a clothing brand that already exists that they're going to think outside the box or they're going to bring people around to, to various pop-ups, you know? So I think it's, it's a great time. It just depends on your perspective and how you want to look at it. 100%. Yeah. Now, this is, this is, uh, this is fantastic. I appreciate you for, uh, for sitting down. What are, what, where can the listeners follow you and where can they connect with you? Um, on your on your platform 
Um, the best thing is at P-E-L-N-Y-C on Instagram and the sketchy truths. If you want to, you know, check out the news and stuff like that. I'm on both of them, you know, daily, um, checking my analytics and stuff like that. And I get back to people like ASAP. I believe communication is very important and I hold that uh, at a high regard. So both of those Instagram best place. You know, you don't get me on one, get me on the other. I'm there. Perfect. Did we cover everything? Did I did I miss anything that you want to uh, share? Anything you want to plug? Uh, any you know any pieces you're working on? Any any shout outs? Um, no. Nah, I just I want people to um, you know, focus on their focus, and please enjoy life, nurturing their creativity. You know, I think that uh, that's it. Like, believe in your dream, man. Believe in your dream. Hyper-focus on it like a laser, and you'll get there. That's it. You know, it's not necessarily about me. It's about us. So, yeah, that's it. It's a great way to end it. You want to make sure this thing waves, and I'll give you a call right back. All right, cool.